Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. And you can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church family. Are you glad to be here today? Guys, I'm excited to get into this word. I wanna look at a story where we read read about our savior today in Mark chapter three, and we're gonna dive right in. It says this, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger, in anger. Come on, be nice, Jesus. But Jesus is angry. See, guys, I think this flies in the face of what so many of us have been taught about our Savior. We've got this kindergarten teacher view of Jesus, like he's Mr. Rogers or something. What we see instead here is that our Savior, he is upset with a group of people who are working a system that is working against God blessing his people. So here we've got Jesus and he is upset right now. He is angry and he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Today, I wanna talk to you from the subject, fixing the system. Fixing the system. Would you pray with me real quick? Heavenly Father, um, we don't want to just get in this room and talk. What we want is your presence in this place. So we ask you in Jesus' name, would you meet with us now? Would you speak to us now? As we get into your word, help us to understand what you want to teach us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Guys, I wonder, have you ever had an area of your life that needed fixing? Something that was broke? I'm not talking about a washing machine, you know, I'm talking about real stuff, like a a relationship, a habit, a lifestyle, something like it just wasn't working anymore, something that, that needed to be fixed. See, sometimes it's just, it's difficult in itself to just recognize and admit the fact that there's some area of your life that's not working, it's broken. It it can be difficult to even admit that because so many times we think I just need to give it more time. I just need to try harder. I mean, we preach that. Just, just keep trying, just stay faithful. And, but I wonder sometimes if, if the system and what we're doing is so broken, it, it's not gonna get fixed. And maybe, are there certain things that like, we're praying for a situation to change, but the system we have it in is so broken. And I say that because I've been to the gym. <laughs> You know, I've seen the way so many of us work out and the way so many of us work out, it's never gonna work. 
right? I mean, we're, we're there and we are, we are taking more rest than we are reps, right? We're, we're talking to everyone in the gym. We, we finally get a few minutes on the treadmill. Man, it's time to celebrate. Let's go get some chicken wings from Buffalo Wild. And we wonder, it's like, I've got a situation. I need to change my health, but the system in which I'm doing it is so broken here. Now let's look at this again, because here we have Jesus and, and he begins to fix a system here. Uh, Mark 3, verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Now I'm going to stop there because in this passage what we have is we have a failed system and we have a frustrated Savior. A failed system and a frustrated Savior. And what bridges the gap between the failed system and our frustrated Savior is a man that Mark describes as a man with a shriveled hand. Now, it's interesting because Mark is, is kind of given a roll call of who's here in this text. And he starts off by talking about Jesus, who was the most important man in history. And if Jesus is mentioned, then you would assume that the next person that Mark is going to mention, and we're going to talk about in the story, he's got to be important. I mean, we're going to assume this is a ruler. This is someone with power. This is someone, someone that's got like a hundred million dollars net worth. You know, if Mark's going to talk about him and use him in the same sense with Jesus, we got to assume it's going to be like a pro athlete or, or a famous singer or something like that. But instead, when Mark begins to give us the role, he, he doesn't talk about anyone with prominence. He, he doesn't mention someone who has a BMW or a Porsche. What he mentions instead is he said there was a man who was there with a shriveled hand. And that's interesting because this man's condition, his deformity uh, would have and probably should have at the time excluded him from synagogue worship. But the good news about this man's deformity is the Bible says it was only in one hand. And if you have a deformity and it's only in one hand, what you can do then is you can take your one hand with the deformity, your one hand with the situation or the issue, and you can hide that hand and you can shake hands with your good hand and act like everything is okay. And man, don't you know that happens in this room every week? I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you my good side. I'm going to present to you that I've got it all together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide the deformity. I'm going to hide what's really going on right now. And I, I can put it behind me and, and try to present something that's a little bit different than what's actually going on. So it must have been to a shock to this man when Jesus stands this man up in front of the entire crowd and uses him as an object lesson. And to say that sounds cruel. Why would Jesus stand a man up? But what we need to understand about our Savior is he will always take your situation and use it to address and challenge and fix the situation that caused your situation in the first place. That sometimes God wants to address something bigger than just the situations and the circumstances we're praying about. And God, would you fix this for me? And would you fix that for me? He's like, I'll do it. But first you need to recognize the reason it exists is because there's a system that's broken that's allowed this to go on for way too long. And what we see here is that this is the premise of Mark chapter three, verses one through six, that Jesus has taken this man's situation and he is challenging the system that allowed this situation to go on for so long. He, he's taking a situation that, 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 that has been enabled by a, a system that was broken. See, we're, we all have a situation in this place, every one of us. 
And you can sit there with your smile on your face and your good hand out and act like we all got it together. But the truth is, every one of us in this room, we've got issues. We got situations. I'm talking about real situations. I'm talking about the real stuff, the stuff that you don't want the person sitting next to you to even know about. Uh, and th this is real life issues, not, not your Sunday situation. Because we can all put our good hand out on the Sunday. But, but see, I didn't come to talk to your Sunday situation. And we see that our, our Savior didn't either. Our Savior wants to address that which is not working in your life. That which is broken. That, that which is deformed. That which is not functioning the way it's supposed to. And he wants to address that situation. And he wants to reveal his glory and his strength through your weakness. So we see that that Jesus here is pointing out to the fact that every one of us, like, because he could have just dealt with the man and dealt with them privately, but he's dealing with this as a whole group because he wants every one of us to recognize we have a situation. In fact, turn to the person next to you, poke him and say, we have a situation here. We have a situation. Every one of us in this room, we have a situation. But one thing I'm grateful for that I'm so thankful the Apostle Paul taught us this is the Apostle Paul taught us in Romans that it is a theological impossibility for anything to come between you and your relationship with God. It is a theological impossibility for anything to stand between you and the love of your Heavenly Father. So your situation, it might look ugly, it might look nasty, it might look like something you wanna hide, but that can't get in the way. In fact, he, he points this out. And guys, I wanna encourage you to, to get into Romans chapter eight. This is one of those books of the Bible, one of those chapters that you might need to read this on one of those days when you're not feeling God's presence, when you feel like you're not sensing him, when, you, when you're doubting, when you're struggling. It's so encouraging. He, he says this, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I love that. It's like, it's like he's picking a fight here. Who? And he starts listing off different situations that we might think could stand in the way. And by doing this, he's, he's personifying these situations because he's trying to show us the power and the work of Jesus. The fact that there is a name above all other names. And if you and I can name a situation, there's a name greater than that situation. So he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Now that's a situation. Shall hardship, shall persecution, when people don't like you, when people hate you, shall famine, not having enough, shall nakedness, being exposed, shall, shall danger or sword. He starts listing off these situations, then he gets real. If we jump forward to verse 38, he, he, he breaks it down. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither this present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, then he breaks it down with this, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Paul is saying, go ahead. Name the situation that you're struggling with right now. Name the difficulty. Name that and understand that the name of Jesus is greater than that situation. And there's a grace that's greater. There's a forgiveness that's greater. There's a love that's greater. There's an acceptance that's greater. So we come in sometimes and go, I got to hide my issue. I got 
to hide what I'm struggling with. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That can't get in the way of what I want to do for you. That can't get in the way of the fact that I love you so much that, that I, I stay up at night thinking about you while you're sleeping. I love you that much. Our Heavenly Father loves you so, so, so much. High five someone and tell them it's just a situation. It's just a situation. It's, it's my situation, but it's not my identity. See, it was the man's situation, but not his identity. See, you, you could have gone through a divorce, but your divorce isn't your identity. You can be struggling with addiction, but your addiction isn't your identity. See, um, we know this because we see that Mark describes the man as not being the shrivel-handed man. The Bible says that he was a man with a shriveled hand. So he wasn't defined by the situation or the circumstance he was going through. He was defined by the fact that he's a man. He's loved by God. He's created being, but, but he had something that was going on. He had a, a situation. And see, this man had a situation that Jesus was about to deal with, but we see that the situation that Jesus deals with in the text is not just the man's hand, but, but the real situation here was the, the people's hearts. Did you notice that? Did you notice that the first time we read this passage that the real issue here was the people's hearts? Because it's one thing to have a bad hand, especially in Vegas, right? <laughs> but it's one thing to have, a, I don't know where that even came from. But it's a completely different thing to have a bad heart. It's one thing to have a situation, but, but, but what's going on here is that there's something taking place on a deeper level. We can read this on the surface level and say, yeah, Jesus healed the man's hand. You saw it. When the man went home from the synagogue, he had two healed hands. But, but what we see here is Jesus does it in front of everyone because he's addressing something that's taking place that is deeper something that's taking place on the heart level. And, and he addresses five things that we're gonna talk about today before we leave. Uh, there's five of these that, that we're gonna look at that Jesus has to say, look, this is a system that is broken that has kept this man stuck. It's kept him from being healed this whole time. The man went to church every week. The man was trusting God. He was there, but he was in a system that was keeping him from moving forward in his walk with God. So this is the way of God. Because a lot of times we, we will pray for God to just change our circumstances, to change our situation, heal my hand. But a lot of times what God will do is he'll use that situation to reveal that there is a system, the way that you and I are doing things, the way we're thinking about things, what's going on in our hearts that he needs to address. Because if he doesn't address that, we're going to still stay in the same system. And though this situation might get fixed, now we've got another situation we have to deal with. And then another situation and another situation and don't you know you can go from situation to situation to situation to situation and life can start to feel like all you're doing is trying to fix one situation after another and just by the time you get that situation fixed now there's this situation and it's all about issues and man our prayer life it just it gets crazy our prayer list gets out of control where now we're praying about all the different situations and I got to pray about my mom and what's going on with my mom. And then I got to pray about the missionaries and I've never even met the missionaries. And I turned the news on and I saw what was going on in the news. So now I'm praying about what's taking place in Washington, D.C. and what's taking place in Denver. And I'm praying about all these things. By the time you pray about all the different situations, you find yourself asleep. 
You're like, man, what's going on with my prayer life right now? It's because we've, we've missed the fact that there's a system that's broken that's causing all of the dis- different situations. And see, this is what, this is a leadership principle that you need to understand. In fact, this is like a little free John Maxwell breakout session right now for you. If you're in business leadership, if, you, if you're in management of any kind, uh, we, we need to understand something that, that you can't just go through life every day fixing every situation. Because if you go through your organization and you fix every situation, what you're actually doing is disempowering the decision-making capabilities of your organization. Because anyone can tell you when something is not working. It does not, don't you know, it does not take a genius to tell you when something isn't working. All it takes is a Facebook account. (laughs) And you can spend all day complaining about and griping about all the things that no one else wants to hear that you don't know how to fix either. It it doesn't take much to tell you when something isn't working. What matters is when we start to figure out why something isn't working. It's one thing to know that your golf shot isn't working, that the ball isn't landing in the fairway. It's another thing to know why it isn't landing in the fairway. It's one thing to know that you want to kill your kids. It's another thing to know why is the communication between you and your children breaking down? It's one thing to know why that there's a problem. It's another thing to know why is there a problem. And we always wanna point fingers at situations, but you might find that sometimes the situation you're dealing with is pointing at and trying to alert you to a system that's actually taking place in your heart. And see, what we see in this passage is that this is exactly what Jesus does. While healing this man's hand, he begins addressing what was broken in the system that was keeping anyone else from getting healed. That was keeping anyone else from moving forward. So God doesn't just wanna fix your situation, he wants to fix your system. And what he does is he gets to the root cause to begin with. So Jesus goes to the synagogue, which was their system of worship. And he went on the Sabbath, which was their day of rest. And he found a man who had a situation and he stood him up in front of everyone to fix their system. And the first thing that Jesus addressed and fixed with this group of people was their pessimism. There are five of these. You might write these down, put them in your phone because these are things that that Jesus wants to address in every one of our hearts so that you and I won't just be going from situation to situation. See, he had to address their pessimism. See, pessimism is the result of considering your situation before considering your source. It's when you look at life and you feel so overwhelmed by all the situations because we stop considering who our source is. And I'll tell you, I've done it. Every time I do this, every time I look at all the circumstances around me, instead of looking at my Savior, I, get, I began feeling completely overwhelmed. Now notice Mark 3 verse um, 2 says this, that, that you'll notice that some of them that were there that day, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They, were, they already came in, they, they were looking pessimistically for a reason. They were trying to find something wrong. Now here's a principle of life that you have to understand is that you will always find what you're looking for. 
Principle of life, you can't get away from it. You will find what you're looking for. If you are looking for a reason to be bitter, you will find it every time. If you are looking for a reason to be offended, you will find it every time. If you are looking for a reason to be unhappy and angry, every time you will find it. And see, there are those in this room, I recognize in a room this size, every time we get together, there are people that come in and you're looking for something to be angry about. You're looking for something to not be happy with. And I see this because there are times when I will talk to people who are visiting our church and we'll hear complaints that are on the opposite end of the spectrum. And it blows my mind sometimes because people coming in just looking for a reason to not be happy. I, I don't like it in there, it's too loud in there. Talk to the next one, I don't like it in there, it's too quiet in there. Well, which is it? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're looking for a reason. It was so funny because like a couple months ago, uh, we did one of our guest receptions and Amelie and I had the opportunity to go meet some people who had been visiting at our church. And, and I talked to one couple and it was so encouraging, so exciting because I, I sat down with them and said, hey, guys, tell me a little bit about yourself. What's going on? And they're like, uh, they introduced themselves and they said, I just got to tell you, it is so exciting to know that God is moving in a church this close to home. I'm like, awesome. Where, where are you at? Are you like just around the corner? Like, oh, we're in Delta. We drive in from Delta every week because God is moving here and we're not going to miss it. If, if God is moving in Western Colorado, we are going to be here every week. And I'm like, man, that is awesome. And I was just like so pumped up about it. The very next table I go to, I sit down and said, tell me about yourself, guys. And I'm like, yeah, we've come a couple of times. It's just such a far drive. And I'm thinking, well, where are you guys coming from? Right? That's crazy. And they're like, we're on just on the other side of 30 road. <laughs> like, you, got, you got a group of people who are saying, listen, God is moving in Fellowship Church and I'm not going to miss it. And if it takes another hour to drive to get there on a Sunday, I'm going to do it. And the next group of people looking for something wrong going, I don't know, five minutes is a long drive. It's like we, we could get to a point where we're pessimistic. We're looking for a reason. See, I understand this because I, I believe that in our culture, we've been trained this way. We've been disappointed. We've been lied to. We, we, we've had our hopes up and, and they've gotten flattened. So we just start going through life sometimes. And just on the, when you're in cruise control and you're just coasting, you can start to get that type of an attitude that no one's really watching out for me. No one really cares about me. No one really likes me. No one likes my post on Instagram. I mean, no one's clicking like on mine. And we can really get into a place where we start to just, and what happens when you go through a day that way, when you're just, no one really likes me, no one cares about me, no one, no one wants to know what's going on in my life. What happens is your life starts to reflect your psychology. Like Proverbs says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So now all of a sudden, it doesn't take long for your life to start to look like your self-talk. So you start going through life and going, no one really cares about me. No one really likes me. No, one, no one's liking me on Instagram. And you start doing that. Well, how long does it take before your life starts resembling that? 
And we go through life just thinking, it's always been that way. It's never gonna change. And Jesus is going, whoa, to this system. I want you to stretch out your hand. I've come to give you a different word and to, to speak something different into your heart. That what's been broken in the system is not okay for you to just be like, that's just the way it is. He's saying, no, that's broken and I'm here to address that. And I'm going to fix that because this pessimistic view, what are we saying? Are we saying God can't move? He can't do it. Jesus is standing in the room, standing there waiting to do a miracle, waiting to break free. And why have these people never experienced it before? Because they were looking for a reason to not be blessed. They were looking for a reason why God shouldn't move. And that brings us to the second point is there was a prejudice here. Jesus addressed prejudice. Yet in this passage, there's nothing about racial ethnicity. There's nothing about gender equality. There's nothing about uh, where the man sits on the economic scale. There's nothing about that. In fact, where we see the prejudice here in Mark chapter three, it's not taking place with the man. There was prejudice there, but the prejudice was directed towards Jesus. You're kind of looking a little confused. Like, wait, what do you mean? Where where did you see that? Well, let's break it down. The word prejudice is defined in in itself. It means to prejudge. Prejudge. They already decided. They had already judged the situation. They already judged what Jesus could or couldn't do. They, They had already decided whether or not they could be blessed or could not be blessed in this situation. And see, what happens here is is when we become prejudiced, we're saying, I'm going to sit in the judge's seat and determine whether or not something can go the way I, I have already thought it should. And see. There's a difference between being in the witness stand and being in the judge's seat. And for every one of us, we need to recognize that we have an opportunity to sit in the witness stand. That these men in this story in the synagogue had an opportunity to witness a miracle, but you can't witness a miracle if you're sitting in the judge's seat. And every day of our lives, we wake up and we have the opportunity to witness God move in our lives, to witness how God can be good to you and faithful to you and, and move in your business and move in your kids' lives and, and move in your relationships. We have the opportunity to witness God do great things for other people and for ourselves, but you can't uh, sit in the witness box and the judge's seat at the same time. Let me ask you this. Have you already determined if Jesus can bless you? and how Jesus can bless you, and who Jesus can bless you through? Have you already made a judgment that if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen in the way that I've determined? Because that's what these men said. They, it can't be possible that Jesus could do anything good here. So, so, so they're trying to judge the situation instead of witnessing a miracle, they're judging like in my mind, I don't think that, that God could actually bless that way. I don't think God could actually use that person. And man, we pray for wisdom. God, would you give us wisdom? And he sends it to us through our wives. <laughs> My wife liked that one. <laughs> but we're prejudiced. We prejudge. 
And it's like, because we don't like the truck that the delivery came in, we send the entire thing back because like, oh no, she's always that way. Well, maybe she's the one God wants to use to show you what's broken in your system. Maybe God wants to use the person you thought can't be used on the day you thought can't be used and in the system you thought can't be used in order to show you that he is God and we're just supposed to witness how he wants to move in our lives. Man, I've seen it where people come into church and, and you've already determined, already determined if God could move. And it will God move today. And you've seen it sometimes. Like people sometimes, they just like exude the frustration of being here, like, like someone drug them into the pl this place. And if that's your day, we love you. We are so glad you're here. But, but I, I've seen it before where people just sitting back going, eh. <laughs> like, like you're here because your mom drug you here or something today. Like, like ah. I just don't know if I don't know if it, and it's like God is trying to reveal his power to you and you get so frustrated because you look up and see someone on the worship teams who's got a rip in their pants and go, well, I just don't know if I, ah. and God was trying to show you how holy he is and you missed it. You missed it because here we've got, we've got the people in the synagogue and the son of God who created us, who gave us life, who's here to save us from our sinful ways is standing in front of them and they're going, I just don't know if Jesus, ah, prejudging. I wonder how often God is waiting to give you a gift, waiting to bless you, waiting to give you your breakthrough, but, but we've already just, I just don't think he could do it that way. I don't think he could do it in this economy. I don't think he would do it in this season. It's summer after all. I mean, in summer things don't happen this way. Have we already prejudged? And here these men are, and they have already got to a verdict in their mind that they believe Jesus was wrong. So now they're just trying to gather the evidence. It's called confirmation bias. Already arrived at a verdict, now I'm just looking for things to try to support that. It's a very negative thing, but it also can be used as a very powerful thing, a very good thing. When, when, when you wake up believing God is for you and you start to look for the evidence of that, it'll change your life. When you wake up and you start believing, you know what, God does work all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. I'm one of those people. So you know what, it might look ugly today, but I tell you what, he's doing something good today. Now I'm taking the same situation that my neighbor is freaking out about and I'm going, look, God's gonna do something awesome here. I'm looking for the confirmation bias that my God is a good God. So we're flipping the prejudice of going, I've already judged the situation. I've already judged that God is good. I've already judged that he wants to do something amazing in my life. So I'm not gonna go through life looking anymore for reasons why God can't bless me. I'm gonna go through life looking for how good he is. Paul did this in 2 Corinthians where he's saying, you can look at everything in two different ways because he's going on one hand, I'm pressed down, but on the other hand, I'm not crushed, right? On one hand, I'm persecuted, but on the other hand, I'm not abandoned. He's saying, I can look at this either, either different way. He's going, on one hand, I'm struck down, but the good news is on the other hand, I'm not destroyed. And we gotta say, I wanna get in the witness stand, God. 
I don't wanna be someone judging whether you can or should bless. I wanna just start watching to see you bless me every day of my life. And Jesus is standing before this group of people going, guys, you got it so twisted. Like, here I am ready to bless you, but, but you're pessimistic. You're, you're prejudging this situation. And, and they got it twisted because they, were, they weren't looking for an opportunity to meet a need. Instead, they were looking for an opportunity to accuse. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we get it twisted. Sometimes God puts us in a situation because he wants us to change the situation. And we've already prejudged it, so we start complaining about it. God's like, I didn't put you there to complain about it. I put you there to change it. See, we get it twisted. We get it twisted. And that's what happened with this group of people. They just got it twisted. They, they recognized that God told them they wanted to take a, uh, he wanted them to take a Sabbath, take a day of rest. So they started getting it twisted in their mind of what that looked like. God gave them a gift in this gift, I want you to rest. I want you to relax. This, this models after the creation story. It's, it's a command that shows us how to live like God, where there's six days of work. We work, we work, we work for six days, and then we rest. And, and all of this came so that we could understand and learn that this is a shadow of the fact that God wants to give us rest. And in doing so, Jesus ultimately is the Sabbath in, in the fact that his work allows us to rest from ours. So there's this picture in the Old Testament, this Old Testament shadow of going, God saying, I wanna give you a gift where you've been striving and you've been working, you've been so stressed out. I want you to have rest. So I wanna show you what it's gonna look like when the savior comes to take away the sins of the world. I want you to have rest. I want you to have Sabbath, but they got it twisted. And they began to pervert what the gift of God was. That's the third thing Jesus dealt with was perversion. I know what you're thinking. You think, wait a minute. Normally we use the word prejudice to talk about racial things and we use perversion to talk about sexual things, but perversion is anytime a gift is used against its intention. If you take a good gift and you use it against its intention, it's a perversion. And, and Jesus stands this man up to heal him on the Sabbath. And see, this would have been understandable if he was dying from a gunshot wound or something, but, but this is something that could have been dealt with on another day. So Jesus is addressing something here. He's showing them something here. And this is what the teachers of the law did, okay? Um, God said one thing. He said, I wanna give you the gift of the Sabbath, a gift of a day to rest. This is a gift. And since they didn't understand the gift, they did what a lot of us do with anything we don't understand, we twist it. So they added 600 rules to this one gift. Okay, this is not God's word. This is rabbinical law. This is where the rabbis said, okay, since we need to take this rest seriously, so here's the rules you have to follow in order to be able to rest the way that they deemed was good rest for you. So they started adding rules. Like if you want to go somewhere, you can take a journey of 1,999 steps, but you can't take the 2,000th step because after all that would be work, right? They add rules like this. 2,000? No, that's ridiculous. 1,999? You're fine. It's good. Right? They're, just, they're making stuff up, trying to, trying to stay within the rules of a gift. And there was rules like if someone has a joint out of place, a shoulder dislocated, a wrist dislocated, you couldn't set that back in place on the Sabbath. That would be work. Wow, right? 
<laughs> like it would, I think it would be a lot more restful to have your joint back in place. That's just me. But, but they, they made these rules, but then they, they would be exclusions. Like, but if the person's dying, then yeah, you can help them. Well, wasn't that nice of the pastors back then? Just like, yeah, if they're dying, then sure, you can do something about it. And, and they made all these rules. Why? Because God had given a gift and they didn't understand the gift. So they twisted it to a point to where the, the, it, it, it sounds crazy, right? It sounds crazy that why would you take a gift of a day off and twist it into something where, where, where they forgot what Jesus said in Mark chapter two when his disciples were work, walking through a field and they grabbed some uh, grain and started eating it and people started accusing, go, look, they're working, they're picking grain. Well, they, were, they weren't working, they were just eating. They were just feeding themselves and Jesus had to say something. He's on, you're missing the whole point. You've missed the whole point that God loves you and is trying to give you a day of rest. He said this, and it's so powerful. We need to understand it. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift made for you. You weren't made to serve the gift. The gift was made to serve you. Now, see, I, I know there's a lot of us in this room. We might not understand the Sabbath. So let me, let me break down a little bit different. Um, stuff was made for man, not man for stuff. Because anytime you take something that was created for you and you turn it into a God, it becomes destructive. Sex was made for man, not man for sex. It's a beautiful gift, it's wonderful, but once you have to start serving that gift, it is a horrible master. And here, this is what these men did. They didn't understand the gift, so they took a gift, a day of rest, and they turned it into a prison. Now here's all the things we can't do, all the things we shouldn't do. God's going, I just want you to relax. I just want you to take a deep breath. Well, Jim doesn't think it looks relaxing to do it that way, so I'm not allowed to. Susan doesn't think I should do it that way. I'm not allowed to. Sarah, Sarah rests a different way than I do, so someone's wrong. And God's going, I just wanted you. Why did you take a gift, something, something, and you twisted the gift? I wonder how many times God has given me gifts in my life and I've twisted it. God has put relationships in my life and I've Instead of receiving that relationship as a gift, I become so needy about that relationship and put so much pressure on that relationship. I twisted the gift. I wonder how often does God give us good gifts and we, we misuse it, we pervert the gift. And Jesus is going, what's broken in the system here is there's pessimism. There's prejudice here. There, there's, a, there's this perversion where you're taking a beautiful thing and you're twisting it. And, and he says, I'm addressing all this. And then the fourth thing we're going to look at is he takes them in and he says, so now what I want you to do in front of all these people, I want you to stand up and I want you to stretch out. I want you to stand up and stretch out. Now, to, remember, the man has not been healed yet. He's still standing there with his withered hand. Stand up and stretch out. This deals with our procrastination. Number four, Jesus starts dealing with our procrastination because anytime you procrastinate, you miss the power of God in your life. Anytime you put it off for the next day, I'll trust God tomorrow. I'll obey him tomorrow. I'll, I'll make that change tomorrow. Guys, I, I, I do it. I've done it. I mean, how many times have I said, yeah, babe, we'll get on this diet and we're gonna do it tomorrow. Just right, at first I wanna get these all you can eat ribs and then tomorrow the diet, right? And we put things off. 
But what's interesting here is Jesus says, I want you to stand up and I want you to stretch out. Now, this doesn't make any sense to me because the way I want this verse to read, like if we look at it again, the way I really want it to read is that Jesus would say, you're healed, so stretch out your hand so we can see that you're healed. Like that would make more sense to me, right? Like, like God would fix the problem and then the man would be able to show he's healed. I wanna feel healed before I act healed. I, I wanna feel fixed before I act fixed. But there's a revelation that all of us who follow Jesus need to understand about God here is that is not the order in which our God works. Our God flips the order and says, what I want you to do is I want you to stretch out and then you will be healed. I want you to do what you can't do. I, I want you to forgive who you can't forgive. I, I, want you to, I want you to work out when you can't feel like you can work out. I want you to trust me with your money when you can't feel like, when you feel like you can't. I want you to trust even when you feel like you can't. And it's in the action of stretching out that the man's hand was healed. And man, as believers, we get this so wrong. This is where for so many of us, our system is broken where we're going, yeah, God, as soon as you fix it, then I'll do it. God, as soon as you fix my finances and you give me the job, then I'll start trusting you. As soon as you make her start acting right, I'll start treating her the way you want me to. And we've got all these things that God, as soon as you fix the problem, and Jesus is going, that is not how faith works. Faith works with stretching out with obeying, with trusting me when it doesn't make sense. And to do that takes the fifth thing on. The fifth thing that Jesus addressed here was the pride. Pride, because you know what keeps us from stretching out and trusting him is our pride. No, I could do it my own way. I got this figured out. I know how I would do it. And you know, I've already worked all the system. I got the numbers worked out. I, got, I know exactly how it's gonna do. So I'm gonna do it this way. And I'm just gonna wait for you, God. Yeah, as, soon as, you, as soon as you act, then and, and when we have that attitude, like the Pharisees standing in the room with their arms crossed going, yeah, really God, what are you gonna do? We miss it. But this man, he wasn't standing there with his arms crossed. He heard a word from Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to stand up and stretch out. What did the man do? He stood up. I'm embarrassed now. Like, you all see my problem. You all know I have an issue, but what I need is not your approval. What I need is his love. What I need is his forgiveness. What I need is his grace. So I don't care what you have to say. What I care is he gave me a word and I'm gonna do it. And Jesus, in healing this man's hand, dealt with a system here and an issue here where he stood the man up and he told the man, stretch out your hand, and the man was healed. An unusual man was healed on an unusual day, an unusual place. You know when God's gonna do it? When you least expect it. You know who he's gonna do it for? Those of us who least deserve it. You know who's not gonna get it? The ones sitting back going, well, we'll see. Would you stand up with me? I think there's a lot of us in this room that, that we know that our God loves us and we just, we haven't trusted him. We haven't stretched out. So I want to pray for you today before we go. Uh, because our God is waiting to bless us. And I wonder, have we been the type of people like in this synagogue where, where he's like, I got a miracle for you, but there's some things you got to lay down. And you've already heard it. Some of you, you know there's some things, whether it be prejudice, pessimism, whatever, you gotta put it aside because we can't look for reasons to say, God, this is why I'm disqualified to be blessed. We have to be the type of people who just go, God, what do you want me to do? Stretch out, I'll do it. 
do it. I'll obey you. I'm gonna start living my life different, treating my wife and kids different. I'm gonna start trusting you. I'm gonna start serving you. I'm gonna do it the way you said so. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm gonna do it. And I'm waiting to see you move as I trust you. So would you stretch your hands towards our heavenly father and let's pray. Heavenly father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that every person in this room you have a plan for, you, you want to bless, you want to touch, you want to move in our lives. And God, we pray today that we would not get in the way of what you want done. So God, we repent. We repent from attitudes where we've looked for, for reasons to judge as opposed to just sitting back going, I want to witness what you want to do in our lives. So God, I pray for breakthrough. I pray you bless each and every person in this room. Help us, God, restore us, restore what's going on in our situations, but most importantly, God, fix what's going on in our hearts. We ask this in your precious son's name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's give him a shout of praise today. Thanks for tuning in to today's message. If you've never taken an opportunity to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we would love to talk to you about doing that right now. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do that right now today. Pray this prayer to begin your relationship with God through Jesus. God, I am sorry for my sins. I've made mistakes. I apologize. I turn from them and I turn to you. I want to make you the Lord and leader of my life. Guide me. Teach me how you want me to live. I want to live for all eternity in heaven with you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and raising to life again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, we believe if you prayed that prayer, you have begun your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we would love to hear from you here at Fellowship Church. Simply contact us at 970-245-PRAY or go online to fellowshipgj.com and tell us your story.